Hey, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Janice Imbrogno. She is a educator, particularly on essential oils. She sells them as well. She's a mom of three and a home economist. How are you doing today? I'm great, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, it's snowing here. I don't know if you can see, I have the window kind of half open, but um, yeah, I haven't seen snow in a long time. So pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, I, I think, you know, essential oils have gotten pretty trendy and there's a lot of, I think, conflicting information around them, right? Um, yeah. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, the essential oil world and uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Okay, great. And you brought up a really good point that there is controversy. And again, like I like to educate people because people don't know uh, really what essential oils are and what they do and how they work and, and that type of thing. So yeah. I was introduced to essential oils, I would say probably about 10 years ago by a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. And I there was just something about them that really resonated with me and I enjoyed using them, but I didn't know that much about them. And then I was a teacher for 35 years. I was a home economics teacher and I retired in 2015. And right after I retired, I had foot surgery and I was non-weight bearing for nine weeks. So that gave me time to start researching and thinking of course I went to my oils for healing but I wanted to learn more and that was when my whole interest and the whole education part and my whole business developed because I had those nine weeks of not being able to run around and do anything I really took the time to learn and I've continued to learn and educate myself and that's that's how it started. But wow. the thing is, it continued because they worked. I used wow. them on right. I've used them <laughs> on my family, um, and they worked. So I just I just went with it, and I love it. And I don't know what I would do. It's a resource. I'm constantly grabbing for them. And as we talk, I can't wait to teach you and everyone else more yeah. about. Yeah, I'm super excited and super curious to learn because, yeah. So. What, when you first started, you had this downtime, so it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. You found a whole new world uh, when you were forced to slow down. What, um, particularly in the essential oils, like, did you use something for your own personal healing and that was kind of the gateway for you or? Well, I, many things. I was, oh my goodness, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> uh, well, I did use them on my legs and on my foot. And I will give you one other quick example. Just recently, my oldest son happens to have autism. He's high functioning. He's 26. He just recently got a little fracture on his foot. 
So I used the same oil on him. Well, I, I, where he, he lives in a group home. So they used, and when he was home for the holidays, I used the same oil that I used when I was healing my foot from the surgery. And that's called Valor. And it turned out that he got out of the boot that the orthopedist had put him in much quicker than expected. And so like, that was one example. When I came, uh, another example is when I came home from surgery, if I I had some nausea, I used peppermint and that worked, but I had seen the oils working for headaches, for natural cleaning, you know, for those type of things all along. And then I just used them more and more to lift my mood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that type of thing. My other, my other son, who's an athlete and was a college baseball player, he used a lot of them on his muscles mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to make him feel good that way. My daughter uses them a lot on her skin and for beauty reasons. So, you know, that, that's just a general overview of yeah. some of things. Yeah. So how did you learn like what works for what? And I mean, there's a million essential oils, right? Right, um, right. And uh, yeah, so how did you uh, learn like what works and what the mechanism behind them is? Because there's, there's a, I mean, there's the chemical properties and then I think there's like the aromatherapy components as well, right? Correct. Okay. So I'll tell you both. So I learned, I have a lot of reference books. I just happen to have one here. Whoa. Um, essential oil, it's a big, there's so much research in this, but then I just, I won't take them, but I just took a big pile off my shelf. I love to learn. Like I'm an educator at heart, but I'm a student at heart. And I just, I read. And I also, within my essential oil organization, I have a wonderful, wonderful leader. And I go to classes with her at a yoga studio. And I watch YouTube videos. And I just, you know, I follow different people and I learn. Sure. Can I talk, I'll talk about the mechanism, how they work. I would love to hear Okay, so I think you, you <laughs> yeah, you kind of made it sound like you understand the essential oils are made of different chemical compounds. So mm-hmm. I'll just, I just want to mention this that I really do feel that whoever you believe in, God, the Creator, the universe, there are things on this earth that are put here to help us, and yes. plants are one of them. Yeah. Right. Now there are, we have to acknowledge there are plants that might not be as healthy, but basically plants, vegetables, herbs, plants that, that produce oils have a lot of healing things. And in fact, I'll also mention that essential oils are mentioned in the Bible, I think over 200 times. And then, right. When they say, the wise men brought Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, frankincense and myrrh are essential oils. Sure. They might not have been as purely distilled in biblical times, but some people even say that the gold was actually balsam fir. I mean, we don't know. But well, and back then, they probably didn't need the same distillation that they do now because the uh, environment wasn't as uh, contaminated. Absolutely. Um, I before you continue very uh, quickly, if you could possibly explain why they're called essential. Be, okay, that's a, that's a good question. I think <laughs> because they, I, there's different theories on it, 
but they are not a fatty oil. So we want to distinguish them. Large molecule oils like olive, coconut, avocado, those are large fatty molecules. So first of all, we don't want to call them just an oil because they're not like that. They're tiny molecules that actually get through the cell membrane. And they, there's different interpretations. You could say they're essential because they're the most important part of the plant. They're also part, they're essential to the plant because these are chemical compounds that make up the plant's immune system. So just like we have an immune system, plants have to protect themselves from bacteria and viruses and mold and fungus and all that also. So they are essential to the plant. Wow, that's fascinating. I think people don't, you know, I always talk about how we've become, as, as humans, you know, we've evolved from agrarian societies, right? That's, that's why we're here today. Um, and we've strayed so far from that, that most people, myself included, know so little um, about the earth around us. You know, we know so little about plants and animals and um, the ecosystem that feeds all of it and how it really is a, it's an ecosystem, all contributes, you know, every, each one has its role. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have gotten away from that. And it took my research to realize because I grew up in an age where my mom was using chemicals around the house. We went to the drugstore, you know, for medicine. There was no, you know, there was no awareness for me to go to the earth for healing. Right. Right. Yeah. And now I'll just say on the side, I go to the earth for healing in so many ways. It's not just essential oils, but I love to ground and put my bare feet on the earth. I love to breathe fresh air, get sunshine. I use products like elderberry and, you know, honey. There's different things that I will use that come from the earth that was never made aware. Like, for example, I can disinfect with alcohol that is made from grain, but everybody else is using environmental protection agency registered pesticides to disinfect with. And we just, you know, we have that disconnect. We do. We very yeah. much do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had cut you off before. Continue explaining the uh, different essential oils and how you got into that. Okay, so let me explain exactly what the oils are. So within each plant, there are chemical compounds, but these are natural, naturally occurring chemical compounds, and they have all kinds of names, and they work in all different ways. But the idea is to extract those chemicals and that liquid from the plant. And usually that's done with steam distillation. So every oil is different, but they take a part of the plant. So it could be a flower, it could be a leaf, a stem, a bark, a grass, a root, a resin, and they will extract the oil with steam, or in the case of citrus oils, they will actually press the rind of the citrus peel, and that's how they will get the oil from that. So that's what it is. And then it's just amazing how these chemicals in combination can do different things. Right. So I'll give you, like, I just happened to open my book and I'll give you one example. But what's also interesting is that this is not like, this is your private podcast and I can say this, but the FDA doesn't want us saying these things. Like, 
<laughs> I'm very censored in terms of I can't make any claims. So for example, if I know that for me and my family, it works when my head is not right, I can put peppermint on my head and it cools it and it numbs it and it takes away what I don't want to feel. I can't just go out and say, oh, peppermint gets rid of your ache because <laughs> they don't want you making claims. It's like, why not? It works. So anyway, <laughs> here's a here's an oil. This is called, this is from the book. It's called Mountain Savory. And here's an example of Mountain Savory oil. And so for example, it says right here, the medicinal pot properties. This is from a reference book. It's antimicrobial, antioxidative, strong antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, antiparasitic, immune stimulant, and anti-inflammatory. So those are the kind of properties you'll find on the, within the different oils. And then there's the practical reasons. So the practical reasons, there's so many that will settle your stomach. There, will, so, there are those that will energize you. They'll help you focus. They'll help you cal be calm. They can help you sleep. As you mentioned, the aromatherapy part, because not only do these molecules have these medicinal properties, but they have emotional properties because they have aromatic compounds that are volatile. They go into the air, they go up your nose to the olfactory bulb, to the limbic system, the amygdala of your brain, yeah. and they affect your feelings. Amazing. Yeah, the, the olfactory sense is very uh, connected to the emotional uh, cortex. Um, you know, like we, we associate a lot of smells with different memories that we have and that triggers emotional responses. Um, exactly. Fascinating. I'm really curious, do you know, how do people discover that essential, like that, you know, plant could have an oil that might heal something? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, the French were really big on this and they started with lavender. And there's a story that there was a chemist and he was working in a lab and for some reason, there was some lavender oil. For some reason, they were distilling lavender oil and something that he was working on either exploded or went on fire and he got burned. He poured the lavender oil on it and he saw tremendous healing. And I think that was the beginning. So I know the French work with essential oils, the Germans have worked with essential oils and so have the English. Now, I forgot who did what. Some sure. of them work with the smell. Mm -hmm. Some of them work with topical. And some of them actually work with ingestion, which we could talk about like going forward because yeah. that's a controversial topic too. So that was one reason, one way. And also, um, I, I just think that people before the Industrial Revolution and before all these chemicals came into our lives, we just mm -hmm. naturally went to the earth. So there is, I'll tell you a little story. There's an essential oil that people may have heard of. It's called thieves and thieves like criminal. Yeah, thieves, right? And people like, that's a weird name. Like, why would you call an oil that? And that, that's also a little legend. And it was during the time of the bubonic plague. People were d dying a lot. Yeah. And there were some people, they were um, criminals. They were thieves. And they were robbing the dead and dying 
but they weren't getting sick themselves. It turns out they were spice traders and they were either rubbing these spices on them or breathing them in through a mask, but it was protecting them. And those were some of the oils that go into the blend thieves. So I think this was discovered a long time ago. And again, like even frankincense, that was used during biblical times. And there were other essential oils that were mentioned in the Bible. So it's just, I don't know exactly, but then for the United States, Mm -hmm. the company that I use, their founder, he got very interested in it. And he went to France and he learned from the aromatherapists in France. And then he brought the modern essential oil movement to the United States over 25 years ago. And that's how it became popular here. And that is the, what I would attribute to our current interest in it. Fascinating. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, what have you found uh, has been most interesting or effective Oh, there's so many. (laughs) There's so many. Um, I don't even know where to start, but there's one (laughs) oil. There's one blend. It's called Digize and it's for digestion. And I call that my miracle oil because I'm telling you when something's not right and I rub that on my stomach or I take it in, it, it settles whatever's going on. So I think that's great. I am in love with frankincense. There's just something that is so soothing, healing, comforting about frankincense. I also use frankincense on my skin every day besides breathing it in. And sometimes like last night, I was in a really bad mood. I I just sometimes put it on the crown of my head and it just, you know, it works miracles. Um, For my son who has autism, he gets agitated. um, and anxious and we do alternate nostril breathing with him and we use two oils frankincense and valor frankincense has a high vibration and valor is very grounding so when you do the process of alternate nostril breathing and then you incorporate two oils that will balance each other it really it calms him down I also found that the I I need some of that I've been super anxious this past week (laughs) Oh, I, I, I literally, I pour it on my head sometimes. Wow. Um, I don't go anywhere without them in my purse. Um, but I also clean with them because I don't have chemicals in my house. So I found that very helpful. And then in general, we use things like thyme, oregano, thieves to protect us and keep us healthy. We gargle with them. I think it was a natural uh, antibiotic. What is Oregano, oregano. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a natural antibiotic. So I know when I'm, uh, you know, I don't take it every day and some people do, but when, I, when I'm when i sick and it's been persistent, then I, I'll take it. It usually knocks whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, and you could also rub these oils on the bottom of your feet because the bottom of your feet has a lot of pores and it's thick skin. So thyme and oregano or that mountain savory that I showed you, those are very, um, those are strong, strong oils. And 
they may irritate you if you don't dilute them and put them when you put them on your skin. But right. if they, you put them on the bottom of your feet and unless you have very sensitive skin, you won't have to dilute them. And those tiny molecules will get in your body within minutes. They'll be throughout your whole body just by rubbing them on the bottom of your feet. So you'll find this fascinating. I'm not going to say it, but it begins with an eye. It's something that you know has been very suppressed in the media. A lot of you know doctors and pharmacies are not allowed to administer it, unfortunately. Right. Uh, and in one particular hospital with this particular, uh, you know, uh, ailment relief, if you will, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, um, they couldn't administer it. So they were doing prayer and they would rub it, the, the paste on people's feet and people found relief. Wow. How amazing is that? Yeah, I know it's purely anecdotal. I'm not giving medical advice here, um, but I thought that that was truly just really amazing. Um, you know, and who knows if it was a placebo effect? Who knows if it was the effect, in the uh, you know, effect of prayer? I think there's something to be said for that. You know, regardless of your religious belief, we know in terms of quantum physics, there's effects of that, um, and certainly if you are religious, you believe that as well. Um, and then you know the. Uh, the paste itself and having it be absorbed through the feet, through the massage. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. That's great. And I'd like to say something also about the prayer because you just jogged a memory. Years ago, I, I, I was able to attend a lot of wonderful conferences in New York sponsored by Hay House. And I saw Greg Braden speak and he showed us a video of nuns in, I don't think it, it could have been Tibet, I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. he showed a real life video of a tumor. In, in, they sped up, but as these women prayed and prayed over this person, you actually saw the tumor shrink and that never left my mind. Um, and again, I have no medical background, but we have to acknowledge that there's things beyond us that can help us heal. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I absolutely, I'm a personally believer for sure. Um, but that'd be in, incredible to watch in real time. And I think there is so much that we just don't, people dismiss because uh, they, of the, um, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, just the indoctrination, uh, you know, and, uh, maybe a little bit more sinister, the word would be brainwashing. But I do really think that people have been so bombarded with messages, uh, mainstream messages that uh, convolute, you know, people's ability to think critically and to uh, be in touch with intuition. And I do think, personally, I think it's by design. You know, I, I that that's my personal belief based on the research I've done and the evidence I've seen put forth. Um, I think, you know, we have, a, you know, we have our pineal glands, which are, you know, they consider that to be like an, you know, archaic uh, organ. And, uh, you know, in, if you read ancient uh, kind of materials, people didn't feel that way at all. Their, their intuition was their guiding force. You know, they didn't have uh, the metrics that we have today to tell us. They didn't have technology to give us data points. And, you know, not that I want to undermine that. I think science is incredible and uh, mathematics and what we've done with that is truly profound. Um, and it should only enhance the intuition, not take away from. I think that's the problem is they've been decoupled. And really, if they were used in harmony, synchronicity, I mean, just imagine what people could do. 
That's right. That's right. I sometimes put essential oils on my pineal gland, or I will put them on my finger and touch the roof of my mouth just to try to, you know, support it a little bit. You know, yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. So with your son who has autism, what have you found? Have you found these essential oils or anything else or taking away other things that have been really helpful for him? Well, I, I feel the essential oils help him a lot. And I, I also, what's nice is because he is high functioning, he can use them on his own. So often we put a roller top on the bottle of the essential oil and that makes it easy for him. So throughout just normal cold and flu seasons and winters in the past, but especially these two years, he has a whole protocol and he luckily where he is, they follow it. And he rolls essential oils on the bottom of his feet protectively. He has essential oils diffusing as he sleeps protectively. Mm -hmm. He will in, ingest them in capsules protectively and so we just support his immune system he there's no chemical cleaning products allowed in his room and this has taken a lot of education and a lot of effort on my part mm -hmm. um but but i'm able we've we've got him at a good place so he does all this then his favorite to fall asleep i ask him what he wants he likes lavender and cedarwood so when he's home we put lavender and cedarwood in his diffuser and as I said, we use the Valor to help support his healing of his foot. We use a frankincense and Valor to calm him down. He also likes Palo Santo is another uh, Palo Santo. There's, you know, people, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you might probably be familiar with this, but you can, um, I, I want to say, just clear the energy in your house by burning sage or Palo Santo wood. But there are also essential oils, this sage essential oil and Palo Santo essential oil. Mm -hmm. And I think those are really good to, you know, clear the energy in his room. But mm -hmm. also any essential oil that comes from a tree is very grounding because the energy, the tree has roots in the earth. Yeah, so very deep roots, yeah. 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 So when you're getting a tree oil, um, you're getting that. I also, I mean, I could just go on and on like in a million tangents, but tree oils are great for your respiratory system too. So yeah. we, we put tree oils on our chest and also on our back to get to the back of our lungs. So um, he does that. And um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's um, off the top of my head. Those are the different things that he does, but it's definitely a part of his life. Yeah, that's amazing. I personally have started using, so after I had the, uh, I think it was a combination, to be honest, of just, you know, current milieu, and then my being, I, I myself contracted a virus, and uh, I was shedding, my hair was just like clumps. Um, my hairdresser actually chopped like five inches off my hair because um, she was like, it's just falling out and it's thinning so much. And you could see it, you know, it was all over like my bathroom when I would shower, it just clumps in the drain. And uh, it finally did stop shedding. You know, it hasn't fully grown back in, um, but it did stop shedding. And I started using, uh, it's a scalp treatment that has shungite in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I mean, 
I, this is purely anecdotal, you know, so, but I will say that it's not shedding and I do feel like it's slowly starting to grow back. So, um, and it kind of feels good. It's just invigorating and yeah. So, so that, yeah, I don't know if you know. I, I so I'm curious if uh, like, in, you know, that makes me think, are there any, um, is, is there any risk involved with any of these? Yes. So that's really yeah. good to know. Okay. Yeah. So number one, you, you definitely want to get a pure essential oil. And mm -hmm. I, I would like to take a minute to describe what's pure and what's not. Um, if you have thin or sensitive skin, you should always dilute. You should know what you're using. If you're pregnant, breastfeeding, always check, you know, of course, always check. I should always say, always, always check with yeah. your medical professional, but you know, know what you're using. Um, so could I get into that? Like, what is it? Yeah, okay. Because a lot of times also I'll bring up something that's often brought up people. You'll see these stories. Oh, my cat died because I diffused essential oils or something like that. And what I always say is you were using perfume, you weren't using a pure essential oil. So a pure essential oil is just plant product distilled or pressed from the rind. And that's all that's in the bottle. So for example, frankincense, I'll just talk about frankincense because it's just such a beautiful, beautiful oil. It comes from the Boswellia tree and the tree has to be 30 or 40 years old before they could even extract the resin from it. And then they do, and the resin is distilled. And of course, you want this to be grown in a way that you're not going to kill all the trees and, you know, you, you want to take care of the environment too. And you want, so that's just something like, the reason I said that is because I went to the local, uh, red and white pharmacy store in my neighborhood. And I bought a bottle of frankincense for $5. Oh. Now, there is no way that that contains the resin, only the pure resin from a 30 to 40 year old uh, Boswellia tree from the Middle East. And it was $5. It smelled like alcohol. It was full of chemicals. I know that wasn't a pure oil. So right. that's just one example. So the oils that I use are grown on farms that never had pesticides. They're not near factories. They're not near nuclear power plants. They're mm -hmm. not near other farms that are spraying pesticides that could come over. They're just grown on virgin land. And the plants are actually hand weeded. So, uh, you know, you don't want any of that. Then you, you want steam distillation. You don't want distillation with chemicals. You don't want solvents in it. And you also want the oil to be harvested at exactly the right time because the chemical composition of the different compounds will be different if you don't distill the oil at exactly the right time. So for example, Northern Lights Black Spruce is grown in a, a farm in Canada under the Northern Lights, which is absolutely wow. Amazing. But if you and don't have to be grown specifically under the Northern Lights, it doesn't. But that that particular brand is Northern Lights Black Spruce. You can have other spruce like Got it. Okay, yeah. But that particular one. But if you don't distill and take those trees down 
in the coldest of coldest of temperatures, yeah. you're not gonna get the same constituents. If you don't harvest mm -hmm. jasmine or Roman chamomile, for example, at just the right time, you're not gonna get all the constituents that are going to make that oil as viable. Right. And then of course, you don't wanna add any perfume. Um, and you don't want to manipulate the oil. So I'll give you one other example. Okay. Peppermint, like peppermint, when I purchase it, it bottle to bottle, it may smell a little different depending on the growing season, the moisture, et cetera. But some peppermint company, like if you buy from some companies, the peppermint always smells sweet like candy canes. That's not natural. Those chemicals were played around with so you don't want an adulterated essential oil. You don't want any heavy metals. You just want the purest of pure. So that's getting back to your question about safety. Yeah. If you buy something in, you know, your local big box store or your local chain pharmacy and it's five, 10, $15 a bottle and it's, it's probably not a pure oil. And then, so I can't speak to the safety of that because that could harm people and animals. Wow. And how so? Why, why would it be harmful? Well, and each one's different. You can't like, but in general, what, what are some of the risks involved? Well, um, it could burn your skin. You don't know. It could, if you're breathing it in, it could in, um, interject chemicals into your lungs and also, if they added fragrance, the interesting thing about fragrance is there's no protection for the consumer to know what's in a fragrance in any product. And essential oils also aren't regulated. Right. They're supposed to be. So if there's some fragrance in there, it could have cancer. It could have benzene and toluene and formaldehyde, cancer-causing chemicals one, two, and three. And you have no idea because the manufacturer only has to put fragrance on it. But even worse is those essential oils, they probably won't even write fragrance on it. So if you don't know your company, you don't know your oil. That's, I would just be very suspect. Um, anything that I would put in or on my body, right. I wanna be a good consumer and I wanna know exactly what's in anything I bring into my house or put in or on my body. So I'm just saying burns, allergic reactions, coughs, um, harming animals, putting a, a, a stress on your liver to detox whatever's in it. So again, not being a medical professional off the top sure. of my head, that's what I would say would be. Wow. Something that's burn. so interesting to me because, you know, <laughs> we're, we're in an age where I, uh, you know, certainly the FDA is regulating things uh, left and right and people uphold them kind of as like, you know, the gospel. And in, re in reality, there's so much they push through that is not safe at all. It's not really about safety. Um, there's certainly no things that are approved in, by the FDA are, you know, completely banned in other countries um, and deemed to be very unsafe and would never even be a admitted into the, those countries. So, um, and then you have things like, uh, you know, that like essential oils that are completely unregulated and that can do harm and people have no idea. So I, I think that's really interesting. The other thing that's, that strikes me as you're talking about when you said uh, 
know your company. If you don't know your company, then you really don't know. So I think this is kind of the blessing and curse of the modern world is that, you know, one the blessing, of course, is, you know, very obvious that we have the, the technology and we are uh, globally integrated. And that, that is a beautiful thing. We have exposure to uh, cultures and knowledge and information at an incredibly rapid speed and, uh, you know, that we otherwise might not have at all and we have it at the tip of our fingers so that's that's incredible to be that interconnected i i think the downside of it and that you really speak to this is that we have everything is so mass produced you know when i was talking about how we've gotten away from the agrarian society is back in you know older days when we were primarily agrarian you knew your farmers you knew right? If it wasn't your own family growing this stuff, then you knew firsthand who it was, you trusted them, you knew the process they underwent. Um, so you, you, you would exchange all this uh, information and build the trust and rapport. So you knew exactly what you were putting on your skin or in your bodies. So whereas today, you know, we, we buy things from Amazon and it comes the next day, which is awesome. <laughs> we have absolutely no idea what it is. <laughs> That that's right. That's right. And we assume one thing that I often teach people is don't assume because it's in a store, it's safe. <laughs> you know, just because it's because I don't see the government going and there are so many cancer causing chemicals in the products we bring in our homes on the store shelves and nobody is regulating it like there's these there's these rules that say they cover it and they don't and i'll just throw out because this is like a big passion of mine yeah. some of the most toxic things you could use are fabric softeners and plugins and scented candles Interesting. full of toxic causing chemicals and the fabric softeners they're also petroleum based and the dryer sheets too they embed these chemicals are embedded in the fibers of your clothes and your sheets so you're sleeping on a sheet for say eight hours a night and that could all migrate through your warm body through your skin into your bloodstream and the same with the clothes that you're wearing all day um, so, you know, it's just whether it's an essential oil or it's a cleaning product. And my favorite other example is a, a yellow or blue bot, a plastic container of disinfecting wipes that clearly say on the back, clearly hazards to humans and domestic animals. But people will wait online to get a hold of this yellow round container of these disinfecting wipes it says right on it it's a hazard to humans and animals and you're buying it and and people don't read the directions too because they don't work if you don't clean first and that's like another whole topic and you have to wash your hands when you're done and there's a dwell time but people just they don't use their consumer skills mm -hmm. and that's you know. Right. It, well, it's interesting because I, I think what's happened is we've become so trusting of certain things and so distrusting of others. Um, and I, in a lot of cases, I think it's kind of backwards what we should be trusting and what we're not trusting. Um, but we, we trust the, you know, the experts, the authorities. Um, and in most cases, those are very uh, mass produced mainstream labels. 
So they, they, they're certainly there in their main motive is to sell. Their main motive is not your health and, and health varies for each person. You know, I mean, what your, your son's needs are very different than probably my needs, you know? So uh, some, there might be some overlap, but you know, each person is unique and that takes some time and research and uh, trial and error. So I think a lot of people are, we're not in the age where that that's super sexy, you know. People want to just uh, get something super quick and uh, hope it works, even when it might be doing harm. Unfortunately, right. and what I what I like to teach people is there's something very satisfying. Like if I clean something with white vinegar and baking soda and right. some essential oil, or I disinfect something with grain alcohol, or yeah. I make. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I get clean my laundry with um, washing soda or borax or something like that. There's something very satisfying. Um, but people are kind of cheated out of that experience, like maybe because our life is so busy, and it's easy to grab something off the shelf. But when you solve a problem or do something positive for you and your family and your home, and you take that extra second to use a plant or a mineral and it works, it feels really good. Yeah, yeah. of course. Of course. Yeah. It's uh, it's holistic in the yeah. true sense of the word. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. You were saying that, uh, you know, it's a petroleum. Um, are, are you familiar with uh, the, the Flexner report? No, I, I'm not, but I'd like to hear about it. Okay, yeah. So in uh, 1910, uh, Rockefeller hired Alexander Flexner to write what's called the Flexner Report. And it was to discredit uh, naturopathic, uh, particularly naturopathic medicine. But uh, they, they then went and defunded all um, non-pharmaceutically based schools. And so it was really the rise of, because he had the monopoly on petroleum, the petroleum industry. And so he wanted to uh, roll out the petrochemical pharmaceuticals. Um, and that therefore, you know, he wanted to suppress the naturopathic industry, which did not use uh, the petrochemical pharmaceuticals. So, yeah, so I think that was the beginning of this shift that we see. Uh, and, you know, again, I'd like to be very clear that, you know, I'm not anti-allopathic medicine. I personally, anybody who knows my personal story, you know, I certainly benefited greatly in many ways from uh, acute allopathic Western medicine. Um, but I think that, you know, as I had said earlier, I feel like it's, it's best when it's worked in conjunction. You know, there should be, we are blessed to have so much at our disposal and, it, rather than integrating and using the best of all worlds, we tend to get very caught up in this binary thinking and uh, binary schools of thoughts where this is good, this is bad, you know, which in psychology, you, you call that splitting, you know, and that's what borderline personalities do. Um, it's not a healthy way to navigate. Um, so I think it's really important, like you talk about the essential oils, they're not all good and all bad, right? They're, you need to educate yourself, you need to understand what may be uh, beneficial in certain times, certain circumstances, which types may be better, uh, which types may be uh, more pure. So I think people just need to, that's unfortunately been very seeped in this all or nothing kind of thought process. And I think that's potentially more dangerous than anything. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I totally agree with you because there's a place for Western medicine and we need our doctors and physicians, but it's too bad like that they don't work together. I remember when I was in college and I was studying nutrition and I still, I mean, it was a long time ago, but our teacher taught us how doctors weren't taught nutrition in medical school. And I, I just feel the same way. It would be too, it's too bad that they, we don't have this whole holistic approach that we can use everything together. Yeah. And that there is so much in the earth that can heal us. And there's so much within ourselves too. I think, uh, you know, that's another trend I really see is instead of people looking, you're seeing it right now, really uh, dramatically, um, but instead of people looking to what they can do to support their own innate healing abilities, uh, they're looking for something external that's really quick and really uh, drastic where you know, a lot of times the, the human body is, is incredible in its uh, detoxing and healing capabilities. And sometimes it just needs a little support, whether that be uh, something natural from the earth. And a lot of it is uh, mental, emotional. You know, so people really underestimate the power of that. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think it's important for all of us to do our own research and make our own decisions. One example that I will share is I think that sun is so important. The sun lifts our spirits. It's healing. It gives us vitamin D. I I feel the sun is also a gift from God. And, you know, I've been told by, let's say, dermatologists, don't go in the sun. It's like, Sometimes the sun is the most healing thing that I could do. And of course, I'm careful and I'm fair skinned and I, you know, know my limits, but I'm not going to not ignore that gift. I think that energy, it's a gift. It's a gift. gift. Yeah. And the sun. So again, this is where the binary thinking comes into play, right? Because it's not all or nothing. The problem is when people go and bake in, you know, the the height of the day for hours on end in, you know, tropical climates that, of course, the, you know, overexposure to the sun has negative uh, consequences, but the sun, we need 15 minutes minimum, 15 minutes of direct sunlight daily, and it has a direct impact on our uh, hormone levels. So, you know, it's a First thing in the morning, it's one of the best things people can do is go outside and go into the sun without sunglasses and without sunscreen and actually get direct sunlight on their pupil. I'm not saying go stare at you know the bright sun. That's not what I'm recommending for people, but to get some direct exposure will affect your uh, cortisol awakening response. It affects your melatonin levels. Most uh, uh, people are melatonin deficient, especially after the age of 40, the levels tend to drop drastically. Um, and that is uh, directly correlated to your insulin levels and your cortisol levels, which are inversely cor- correlated to each other. And that affects your sleep, you know, that affects your re- restoration. Uh, obviously, your vitamin D levels. I think part of the reason we're so vitamin D deficient is because people are, you know, so afraid of the sun and they're slathering on sunscreen. And that has a toxins in it as well. So people are now having to detox from what they've just poured on their largest organ, which is their skin. And uh, then, uh, you know, also blocking from what could be healing them. And we know we're seeing that now with the, you know, the current virus everyone's, uh, you know, very uh, concerned about is that vitamin D is one of the, you know, 
one of the primary uh, immune boosters, but not just for this, but for, for everything. It really is. Because I think vitamin D, people don't know uh, that much about it. I, I think the general population, but it actually acts almost as a hormone and a cofactor. So it helps you to absorb a lot of other uh, minerals and vitamins. Um, and it does have a, an impact on you know a lot of your hormone levels. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I was going to say the same thing. We've been told that sunscreen is so healthy and it's so great, but some of it was just recalled this past summer and um, it has a lot of toxic chemicals. You want to get a barrier sunscreen like with zinc in it. Um, you, you know, you don't want all these chemicals, like you said, your largest organ, but we think we've been told these things are safe and good for us. And that's what I want people to just to open their eyes and to be aware, you know? Yeah. And understand what, what does safe mean? I think that's another thing we're really seeing is that the, uh, you know, language has been manipulated so drastically. Certainly I don't speak other languages, so I can't speak to what's happening in other countries um, and other parts of the world, but I can definitely say in this country, uh, we, we've seen the manipulation of language for decades on end. And I, I think it's quite dangerous because what does safe and effective mean, right? I, I think the, our notion of what that is has really shifted and it's it's shifting rapidly right now <laughs> so yeah <laughs> and you it's meaningless you know it really I, I i have so many i can't even think off the top of my head where some company will say something is safe and effective and it absolutely is not right yeah so what would you advise people to do then to yes. How do they determine what is safe and effective? How do they navigate all this confusion and uh, you know misinformation, disinformation, et cetera? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I think <laughs> with me, it really is research and it's a passion to know what's right. As I said, I do read a lot, um, but if you like look up the ingredients in what you're being sold and like even when it comes to like natural cleaning and products in the home there are so many books that you can read and and they'll just tell you you know and um know that a lot of the companies their basic motive is profit and profit comes at not always using safe products. And I guess, you know, just really like Google, you could Google or research or search dangers of like, there's a, a chemical spray that's supposed to take odors out of your house. So if you just search dangers of the name of that fabric freshener spray, yeah. you will be shocked. <laughs> you know, so I guess that's how you could find out. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, I, I guess it's just taking, it takes, it does take time. It yeah. Take time. Yeah. It definitely takes time. That's definitely not something that a lot of people uh, want to invest. <laughs> yeah. I, it's more scarce these days. We live in such a fast paced society. So I'm curious, you taught, um, you said you taught home economics in schools? Yes. Uh, what, what grades? I taught mostly high school, but I taught middle school a little bit too. So seven through 12, but mostly nine, 10, 11, and 12. Okay. I'm really curious what that experience was like. And for how long did you say? 
35 years. Wow. Oh, I can get tears in my eyes. It, it just brought me so, so much joy. It was my passion in life. I, and, you know, people think home economics and they think cooking classes. And I did teach some cooking and nutrition, but oh my, my I had a lot of other passions and people don't always know, but I, I did have a big sewing and fashion program. And it wasn't so much that I think it was important for my students to necessarily have the skill of sewing, but I used it as a way to build up their self-esteem that they could do something and they could create something and they could feel good about themselves. I also taught child development and human development. And I brought a lot of natural things into that teaching. Mm -hmm. And I did teach the food and nutrition. I taught a little bit of interior decorating, but my passions really were the sewing, the human development, the child development. And, um, yeah, it was, it was great. And, you know, I, it, it was, it was a lot about teaching them self-esteem and teaching them just things they should know to be good consumers, like even in, in child development, you know, there's just so much you, people don't know, like, I'll give you one quick example. People give babies juice boxes. And it's like, in what world? That's, that's sugar water. Why are you doing that? And, you know, and I was very a big proponent of breastfeeding. So I taught my child development students the importance. Again, we, I was not breastfed because my mother grew up in a generation when everything was changing. And I, again, I just want to educate them. And one of the things I always taught my students was just because similar to what I said about stores, just because it's in print and it's in a book, just because it's on the internet, just because it's on TV or in a magazine doesn't mean it's true. And I learned that myself in my nutrition class in college. Um, when we always, we, I still remember my textbook and there was a page and it said, know the source of your information, do your research. So I wanted them to be good thinkers, to be critical thinkers, to be good consumers, um, to know that there were alternatives. And, and I don't know, I just, I loved it. it I, I wanted it to be the comfortable place. You know, I'm starting for the first time to even question public school and my kids are grown but I said you know if it was today I don't know if I send you to public school and they'd be like what what we loved school but um I wanted my classroom to be the landing place the little piece of home where the kids could relax be comfortable be creative and learn relevant stuff so it was great it was great you know, I, so I'm thinking, I personally, I had, I think a couple of years of home ec in like elementary school, you know, certainly didn't have it in high school. I don't think we even have it, had it in middle school. And what, what's really interesting hearing you talk about this is uh, a lot of these are skills for the family. And you know, there's been such an erosion of the family that over, you know, and I personally do think that's by design, um, you know, because it's, uh, you know, as the you know, Frankfurt School called the Athen Haven to destroy and negate the culture. And where, where do you start with that? Obviously, the family, that's the, you know, the root of the culture. So I, I do think there, it's really interesting that you taught all the way through uh, 12th grade, because I know very few schools today have home ec at all and it's very much looked down on it's a 
at least that's been my personal experience. You know, people look down on home ec, like, uh, you know, it's uh, demeaning to women or, you know, it's not necessary or that it's uh, trivial. And when it couldn't be further than the truth, because that's your foundation for everything, right? If you don't have, uh, you know, that core nucleus and uh, you don't have those, skills nurtured in the family which is really a lot of what you're you're talking about I mean I I was never taught to sew I was never taught to I I wasn't really even taught to cook to be honest so and these are the most basic kind of you know things in life I mean how do you nurture yourself and take care of yourself if you don't have those skills and then how are you expected to take care of the family and I think it's part of why we have a breakdown of the family people don't really know how to raise a family they don't know how to take care of themselves Right, that's right. And in fact, for many years, we had a course where we taught students all the basic things about how to get your own apartment, uh, how to sign a lease, how to live with a roommate, how to write a checkbook, you know, keep up your checkbook. I used to have the um, industrial arts teacher come in and he taught them how to buy a used car. Um, Yeah, all this great stuff. But I want to go to your school. But then they took it away. And then we had a required parenting class for seniors and they took it away. So it wasn't always supported. I have to give credit. I worked with wonderful, wonderful other teachers. We just, we all believed in what we did. Yeah. And we kept our department going through, you know, because like you said, a lot of high schools didn't have it. And a lot of high schools, if they had one teacher, it was a lot. We always had at least three. Um, because we all believed in what we did, but we were always fighting against the tide. And um, I'll give you one other example. I had a class called human development. And one of the units was about marriage. And I taught the students the difference between a wedding and a marriage and about how people get so caught up in the wedding and they're not paying attention to the relationship. And I think that was a really good learning and so we we put on a little wedding for many years. And the whole point was they put all this effort into it. And then like that, the party was over. And then they, they wouldn't let me teach that anymore. What? <laughs> no, really. What was so, your argument? Yeah. So I... I believed in what I taught and I'm lucky I reached who I reached when I did. And then toward the end of my career, they came in with the common core and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is my craft. This is my field. I've been doing this for 30 something years. I'm trained in this by the, I had the most amazing college professors also, um, like just a different generation. And now you're telling me to, the, all the creativity, all the love, all the involvement and direct participation from the students. And you want me to create common core questions? Like, are you kidding me? So there was, there was some, um, when you said they, they, they told you you couldn't teach it anymore what was their argument why did they tell you oh, they, they didn't want me they 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 didn't want me to do the class wedding anymore yeah. I, why why what, what was their justification I well I I guess 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they didn't see the value in it. But my original chairperson, he loved it because he said it got families involved. Yeah. Because the kids would go home and the parents would contribute this and the parents would come and the parents would help them. And I taught them how to make professional phone calls because they got donations. They always wrote thank you notes. Like the, it was all real life learning. And I guess they just didn't want the attention to it because it wasn't AP physics. <laughs> you know what I mean? It didn't have um, real life wasn't a value. I just believe, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I was able AP to- AP physics didn't get much attention in my school either. I'll just tell you. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, um, I don't know. It didn't have the prestige that some other thing, that other projects perhaps did. Um, so things changed over the years, but in the beginning, I had the most wonderful chairperson. Like I said, I worked with amazing other women uh, who were teachers in my department. I had amazing college professors. And so I still try to bring some of this with me into my essential when I educate about essential oils. Sure. You know, I try, but it's it's sad that it's not a popular value right now in schools. Yeah, I, I think it's tragic, quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think it's really essential. And I, I think it's a, it speaks to a huge part of what is wrong with our culture. Um, yeah, well, I would love to have you start a movement to bring this back. And I, <laughs> I would love, love to. <laughs> I could use it now. Um, yeah. there, there's so much, I feel it's so much basic stuff. You know, I'm, I'm very seeped in a lot of, uh, you know, very uh, complex kind of research. And I often feel like I don't have the most basic fundamentals covered. So, and I, I don't think I'm alone in that at all. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it would be great to see a resurgence. <laughs> I, I would too. I would too. It was, um, I, I, I only hope that the students that passed through my classroom, you know, ha have something that they're going to use in their day-to-day -day life as they, you know, you know the song, what is it? What's the song when I think back of, on all the crap I learned in high school? It's a wonder I can think at all. Is that Kodachrome? <laughs> you know, um, there's so much we forget and there's, um, there's so much meaningful that's practical that we can learn to uh, help our family. I, I was sitting with my daughter last night and I was just teaching her some things that I taught in child development. She, she works in a daycare center and I'm like, well, I wish you had this in high school. I wish somebody taught this to you too, but I can teach it to you because I'm your mom. Yeah, <laughs> she's very fortunate. Um, so, and what did you say? She works in uh, daycare? Well, she's, she has a part-time job. She's, a, she's going to be a teacher. She's mm -hmm. going to be an early childhood and she's going to um, early childhood special ed. And then she will get the rest of her uh, degree in, you know, one through six. But um, both my children have been very influenced by their older, my, my two younger have been very influenced by their older brother. So um, right now, before she starts student teaching, she is working part-time in a daycare center and she loves it. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah, and I, I guess I was curious a little bit about uh, the, her experience in the daycare and like, you know, how that, uh, I guess just what you've seen and what's been uh, uh, the common practices, what has been supported, what has been chagrined. 
Yeah. Yeah, I feel that she's very happy there. And I think that she feels that they're just, they're they're doing the right thing by the children as much, like she feels comfortable there. She doesn't feel anything is wrong um, as much as they can work within the parameters they're given these days. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, there, are the parameters limiting in any way or? Um, it's just like, I'll give you one example. Yeah. I'm, Again, I'm, from my, ch from teaching child development. Yeah. The most your... important thing is when a baby is born, mm -hmm. their eyesight is most focused. If a mom is holding the baby, like at her breast, the distance between the mom's eyes and the baby's face is the perfect for the baby to start focusing. Babies have to look at human faces. When mm -hmm. my kids were babies, I bought them picture books of photographs of faces. Mm -hmm. I held them when I fed them. But now babies and infants are looking at masked faces. I was going to ask you about that. Yep. So that, that breaks my heart because that's against every developmental principle. A newborn baby has to see a human face. Of course. They, um, I, I mean, when I think about it, little, little black and white mobiles for my kids with faces, like I said, I had real picture books with faces. I always held them when I fed them. Um, I stared in their eyes. That's so, so important. And that's being taken away from babies today, hopefully not forever, but people don't realize the impact. That's not good for a baby's development. They need that. And they need all their senses stimulated. And their eyesight has to develop and they need to not see a, a piece yeah. of cloth. And, uh, you know, I, I've talked about this. Uh, so people who watch and you know, are pretty familiar with this story for me, but I'm hearing impaired. You know, I didn't get hearing aids. So I was almost six years old. I learned how to speak by reading lips. So I, my heart, you know, for all child development, it's essential for them to see the faces, you know, and there, there are studies done, this is not new actually, um, but there are lots of studies done where when that uh, facial recognition is stripped from uh, children at a young age in their formative years, uh, they're more likely to develop paranoia, schizophrenic, uh, you know, all sorts of attachment disorders. Uh, so their, their psychological development and their interpersonal social development is significantly impaired when they can't see a full face, facial uh, expression. Uh, but my heart really goes out to these children who are born with hearing impairments, who are deaf, um, you know, and the emotional to think about, but you know, some of them could really thrive and, you know, be such incredible uh, contributing members of society, but to have that element uh, stripped from them because the most important thing for them is to see the faces, is to see, you know, look, uh, read the lips and see that full facial development. And I know for me, when I, it not just because I depend so largely on the, uh, you know, lip reading and facial expressions for, uh, communication, but I'm also a very, uh, I'm an empath and I'm, I'm very intuitive in my interpersonal relations. So I, I know when I, when, when I see that and I, I've seen somebody then take it off because I'll explain to them, I can't hear them. It's like, wow, I see their whole face and it's like a whole different person. It really is. I mean, there is so much that can be translated through the eyes, but 
what I've noticed, and I, I don't know if you've, you've experienced this, but I, or if other people, I'm very curious other people's experience of this, but I noticed that even their um, communication uh, through the eyes is different when their face, when half their face is hidden. They somehow feel guarded. They feel in some ways emboldened. Um, the way that they communicate becomes different and you know, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's darker. People are not as warm when they they feel hidden behind, you know, the cloth or whatever fabric it is. And they feel somehow that they're uh, less vulnerable and humanity is vulnerable. So to strip the vulnerability of that exchange, I think is really devastating, but particularly devastating to children in their development. I agree. I agree. And I've also thought, I've often thought of the hearing impaired. And I also think about my son who has autism and so much of his training as he was a boy was on facial recognition. He had charts with emotions. They showed him pictures, happy face, sad face, angry face. And, you know, how is he supposed to navigate the world? You know, you if you have one... I don't know. I don't know the answer. Yeah. I just. I, I can feel the emotion. Yeah, it, it is really devastating. It's really devastating. I, I've lived it personally. It is part of why I moved um, because, you know, walking around, seeing everybody, it was just, you know, emotionally, I could feel how dark it was and how isolating it was. But then just personally, it was really difficult for me to communicate with people and other people would get frustrated with me because they would think, you know, they can see I, I can hear. And yes, I wear hearing aids. And even if I didn't wear hearing aids, I can see your body language. I can see your speaking, you know, it's like I'm hearing impaired. I'm not, you know, I'm not completely blind. I, you know, I have visual impairments as well, but I'm not completely blind and I'm not, you know, I, I'm aware that you're speaking and <laughs> that doesn't mean I can discern what you're saying. And uh, there's so much more to communication than just, you know, the auditory processing um, and for, you know, for children in their early developmental years, absolutely. That's just so incredibly essential and it's devastating to see that stripped from them. Um, yeah. So hopefully that's really going to change. You know, there's a lot, like where I live, people very rarely wear them. That's really not a huge issue, but um, I know the fear has become quite uh, permeated. And so there, there's people all over the place who won't get rid of it. It's become their proverbial blankie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they're, they're doing less and less to boost their natural immunity, learn about things like, you know, essential oils that could be healing, uh, you know, or in the very least could be comforting to them. Uh, they, you know, they're not doing much to help themselves. Instead, they're relying on the blankie that's actually doing a lot of harm. So. Right, right. There's also something that I, I just as one other example, yeah. If a person takes the time to learn, 
there's so much out there that's helpful. And one thing that I just realized on my journey to find different things is hydrogen peroxide. Like I'll use that to clean and people don't realize how helpful that can also be. I put it in my diffusers. I now I, I found videos on YouTube. I learned a lot about it, but not only do I clean with it, but I'll inhale it or I'll put it in an inhaler or in a diffuser. And it's just one other example that there's so much out there if we only open our minds. And That's what's so fascinating about that is that there has been so much for, for years, I thought hydrogen peroxide was like dangerous, you know, like, you know, you, you can't use that if you're really careful with hydrogen peroxide. And I'm not saying that, you know, you should just like take a bottle and down it. I'm not suggesting right. that. That's not my, uh, my mission here. Um, right. But I think people are just so misinformed and they're so bombarded with fear that that's really kind of the takeaway for me because hydrogen peroxide is incredibly oxygenating and that's part of why it has such a healing and disinfecting uh, properties. And if people were to learn about how to use it, I know uh, Dr. McCullough is somebody who's been really talking about doing, you know, like nebulizer treatments with uh, hydrogen peroxide and uh, you know, for years, I, I gum disease runs in my family. So, you know, my mom had always talked about mixing hydrogen peroxide with water as a mouthwash. Um, and, you know, it's antibacterial, antimicrobial, oxygenating. Uh, so it has tremendous uh, properties. And, uh, you know, I've always found that it was very helpful for any, any time I did experience any gum inflammation. And certainly, you know, even just, you know, regular open wound, like, cuts that's the first thing I do is I put hydrogen peroxide before I rush to put antibiotic cream or something like that I put and you know you, you don't want to it can be very drying and irritating so you know you need to be careful with it but it can also be really healing so right and as you said it's oxygenating which people need and that's why I love it in the neb nebulizer or the diffuser and what I also again if people just open to research and to learn, there's a food grade hydrogen peroxide. And that's what we've been using. And I just love it. I just, even I found just for fun, if I just want to energize myself, I'll breathe in a little through the nebulizer or the diffuser and it oxygenates my blood. It's like, great. You know? Wow. That's yeah. very cool. And you can feel the effects. Uh... Yeah. It just livens me up a little bit. You know, again, I'm not a medical professional. These are just anecdotal things. But the point is, there's so much available to us. And I want people to open their minds, to be open, that there's better ways, there's other ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Do you have anything else you want to leave us with and close out with and certainly tell people where they can find you and uh, your resources? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll tell you, my, um, I have a company and my company is called Home Health and Spirit. And that I made that up because I'm all about the home health and spiritual things. So my website is homehealthandspirit.com. 
on, I'm on Instagram at Home Health and Spirit. Facebook is Home Health and Spirit. And I have a YouTube channel, Home Health and Spirit. So I do have videos. If anybody was interested about my son, James, I have a couple of videos with him on it, doing the alternate nostril breathing and explaining that. And um, so if any of my resources are of help to people, you know, just, just look me up on any of the social media platforms. And I have blogs on my website. So I have articles about different related things. If you're a natural minded person, maybe that would be, you know, helpful to you. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I will post the links there for everybody to go and find you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I really enjoy talking to you, Courtney. This was great. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.